Are dents and scratches putting a dent in your day? Introducing Rogerstein Crash Repairs Adelaide, your trusted solution for automotive woes. With over two decades of expertise, Rogerstein Crash Repairs guarantees top-notch service, restoring your vehicle to its former glory in no time. From minor dings to major collisions, our skilled technicians handle it all with precision and care using state-of-the-art equipment and techniques. Rogerstein Crash Repairs saved my car. It looks brand new. Fast, friendly and reliable. I wouldn't trust anyone else with my vehicle. Don't let accidents slow you down. Visit Rogerstein Crash Repairs Adelaide at 14 Penner Avenue, Glind for quality service you can count on. And here's a special offer just for our listeners. Mention this podcast and receive a $100 discount on your repair. Roger Steen Crash Repairs Adelaide. Excellence in every repair. Past players. Past legends. Past legends. We welcome aboard uh, Stephen John Raiden Patterson. Fair name, that Pato. That's uh, all we've got time for. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. I know. Yes. Get all the little middle initials in there. Yes. So, uh, so uh, Pato, 86 games for Nord, 116 goals, uh, 96 games for Collingwood. So, not quite the 100 for either club. 88 goals. Uh, Award Best and Fairest in 93, Advertiser Team of the Year in 93, State Game, played a State Game, third, third in a BNF at, at, uh, in the Copeland at Collingwood as well. Welcome aboard, Pato. Thanks, Malcolm. Good to be with you and your listeners. Thank you for joining us, mate. Uh, like we do with most of our guests, we'd like to find out where your footy career started and when. Yeah, sure. I suppose that my, my first team I played for was under-12s at Hope Valley. And it's a bit of a, bit of a story there because, um, you know, I was at Highbury Primary School and the, they didn't have a footy team. So everyone played at the Hope Valley. And I was sort of the year, in my year, I was the lower age group. So I was actually in under 11. And I actually tried to go out and play with my mates the year before. And so, so in under 11s. And I went out there and told them my age. And so I, they said, no, you've got to play in the age group below so I didn't end up playing that year and then the next year I came out and ended up lying about my age so that I could play with my <laughs> mates in under 12s. Seems to be a common theme with yeah. some of our guests. Yeah, we've already had Tim Weatherall because uh, Weathers uh, you had to be eight and so he and uh, wandered down and Mick, Mick had told him uh, you're to say you're eight so he got there how old are you and uh, Weathers answered Dad told me to tell you I was eight. Weathers was four. Was four. So fair effort. <laughs> I wasn't that. I wasn't that young. But yes, certainly, I was yes. pretty small though. I was. I was only a little rover, so yes. I, was, I was a bit small. But that, that didn't worry me. And you? Sorry, you were just there for just the one year. Yes, yeah, so I was really only at um, Hope Valley for a year, and then just went off, um, played. Well, my my dad went over to England for work, so I ended up playing soccer as well. Uh, and then came back and just and played school footy, really. I didn't play for, at, at Pembroke and then um, just played school footy at Pembroke until I, until I finished school. Uh, who was coaching out, out at Pembroke at that time? Oh, great question. I, Dennis Borden, he's, yes. he's, um, he's um, a famous Pembroke. Yeah, and uh, he was teacher. at Nord High. He taught me at Nord High before he went to Pembroke, uh, Pedder. Oh, there you go. Well, Malcolm knows everyone out late, so I'm not surprised he's <laughs> no Dennis. No one else would. Uh, but he was really good because he yep. really encouraged me. And then we had now our, our first 18 coach. He was Sturt player. I think it was Howard his name was. Uh, and we also had Jim Darrington at the school yeah. at the time. Mike, he, Mike, Mike Howard. Howard yep. Mike Howard, yeah. Mike Howard, that's yep. it. And so Mike Howard coached us, and then Jim Darrington was still playing at Sturt at that stage. So yep. uh, I think he's the captain. And also, um, of course, we had um, Robert Odie was there. Yep. He was – he was I, he never actually coached me, but he was around the traps. And Jim, of course, has been at long-standing at, at Pembroke for 30-odd uh, years. So – because uh, he went to Nord High as well, so he actually would have he he would have been a student under Dennis Borden as well. The the whole irony of Adelaide, we all know each other somehow, don't we? So um, yes. 
So did from there from Pembroke out to Nord from there, Pato? Yeah, I did. So and the, so of course, you know, I hadn't been brought up through the under A system, uh, and then uh, you know Dennis Borden and and they said, well, you either go out to Stern or Norwood. And yeah, so I was at uni, and I didn't really get because I, I, I hadn't been doing pre-season before. I just um, rolled out to Norwood to the underage, the under 19s in in January when they'd probably been training for for a lot longer, and uh, just sort of it, yeah, not invited myself out, but just sort of came out and um, trained, played under 19s for the for Norwood for two years. Smith, was that Phil? Was that Smith? Trying to think of for the coach, yeah, no, I had um, Frank Leonard. So okay, yeah, Frank Leonard time. Yep, yep. So staff was the under 17s coach, yeah. and, and then Frank Leonard, and they were basically they'd been coaching the whole. So this was back in the eighties, yep, late eighties. But they were both of them had been effectively the under the junior coaches for a while, all that decade, especially staff. Yeah, yeah, that was a very good coach. And so then, then you're uh, going through from through from the juniors, uh, your league debut. Yeah, so that was in 91. So basically, yep. yeah, played in 89 and 90 in the 19s. And we had some really good players there. Yep. And this is before, of course, before the Crows were in yep. and probably before the draft was anything like it is now. Like back then, they would draft, you know, a McGarry medalist and they would yep. only look at players that played league. Yeah. So mm-hmm. the whole, your whole, um, you know, aim was to go through the ranks with your mates and play league for the club. And yeah, so there wasn't wasn't that focus that there is on now on the juniors. But we, it's you know the the juniors teams at Norwood were very good because of the coaches and that. And so we had some really good players, of course, uh, playing there. Uh, and then so the year I got into the seniors, that was the year the Crows came in. So there was quite a few players retired or went off into the Crows system. Yeah. And then Neil Craig uh, came from North, North and uh, he he was the coach. Yep. Yeah. Who were some of those underage juniors that you played with? I oh, know I'm probably asking a, a, a big question to remember, but you know who were some of those players that you got to play with in your juniors? Yeah, well, I'm just trying to. Like, you've, in, I had Scott Robinson, so he he yep. was a very good player, um, and then there was other players who, uh, like there was a guy called Chris Lang, who was an amazing yeah. player. He yeah. could literally um, stand on people's shoulders. Like these days, they would have said, "Oh, we'll draft him." But he, you know, he, he ended up playing juniors. And the um, another guy, Kingy, was excellent from Kingy from Caniva. So there was lots of yeah, lots of players that probably didn't go on and become oh, household yeah. names, but they were you know really really good players. And Who then, else? We, we of course we had. I mean, in terms of players that went on, um, Martin Pike came through. He was sort of a year below me and yeah. um, in in the juniors, but he he went through. And then we also had. Um, Malloy as well. He went over to Melbourne. Melbourne, yep. Glenn Malloy. Yeah. And, of course, so Scotty Burns, you actually started at Collingwood with Scott. It was Burnsy, but um, he was after you with juniors. Yeah, yeah. He was he was, he was a bit younger. So, I mean, yeah. he was just a very good player, of course. So, he he basically, I was playing league by the time he came through. Um, and then Brett James, who was another one I went over to yep. Collingwood with, he was – he was, um, yeah, an outstanding junior. So he was already playing league as a, he went straight out of 17s into league. Which by that at that stage there was not too many players that had done that. I think Greg Turnbull was one. Yes, um, but James was one of the others, and Macker as well. Yeah, uh, Greg Turnbull was one of the all. You know, his knee, his knees were just, you know, terrible what he did, and he would have been one of the all-time VFL greats. You know, he was, he was incredible. But when you get Foss Williams saying that he was the most courageous player he'd ever seen, that you not, don't get too much higher praise than that, Pato. So, no, yeah. yeah, especially not a Port Adelaide player. Yeah. So definitely. Sit up and take notice, don't you? Yeah, so uh, so through 91, 90, 93, certainly the highlight, Pato? Yeah, it was, it was great because it was coming through. So 91 was challenging because a lot of players, it was a real, um, I suppose, a changing of the guard. Yeah, the turnover, yeah. Because you yep. had a number of factors. You had uh, older players retiring. You had um, the really good players like um, Pittman uh, and Maddie Kelly. They went off, they were playing at the Crows. And then in my case, Stephen Rowe, who was a rover, he was playing at the Crows. And so really had to uh, have, you know, Craigie had to basically rebuild the whole team based around the juniors. Uh, and so that was, 
it was a real eye-opener, of course, because he was, at that stage, also coaching at Sassy. Yep. So he was surrounded by all these, you know, really high-performance yep. cyclists. And he had his, he was really very cutting-edge with his sports science. So he trained us really hard. Um, yeah, I remember <laughs> my first training session it, it, out, of, out of the league. It was a bit of an eye-opener. Yeah. We had to, yeah, do a massive 10K run. Um, and, you know, it was my first time out at training with the seniors. And, yeah, we basically had to run 10Ks. And you weren't allowed to be caught by the by the trainer, like the, the fitness guy. So we sort of left in groups and the fitness trainer was left after us and he wasn't allowed to catch you up. Otherwise, he had to do penalties. I just remember running around the River Torrens, Yep. Pretty much delirious. That was out at that was out at Langman Grove, wasn't it? And you you did the Torrens track uh, from Langman Grove towards the city, if I remember rightly. Yep, yep. All running along there. Yes. I'm um, going past the zoo, and yep. That's yeah. <laughs> that's pretty tough work when you run past there when you're trying to breathe in oxygen and, and the, the air's not not pure air when you run past the zoo. You've seen plenty of players uh, unfortunately lose their lunch uh, after doing those runs because they were pretty tough. Yeah, they were, definitely. Yeah, but so Craigie, I mean, it was really good. He taught me a lot about football and, uh, yeah, really, he was really, uh, had a, a firm, you know, he really tried to drive the culture as well. So not just um, about the skills, but driving the culture. Yep. And he, you know, because I was quite quite slimly built, even at that stage, I think before the 93 season, he got me and uh, Michael Thompson and John O'Robran out to Sassy to do weights and, yeah, really try to build our bodies up. And that really made a bit of a difference, actually, because it just gave a bit more, I suppose, a bit more um, staying power around the ball, not get pushed off the ball and, and you know, could run out games as well. So in that first year, uh, you debuted, was it against West Adelaide? It was, actually. It was a, And it was a bit of a, like, I, I think Stephen Rowe got a late call up to the Crows or something like that. So it wasn't like I was, you know, I only found out, I think the morning of actually, and he might have, Craigie might have known the day before, but just didn't thought rather than make me all nervous. And that just let me know that the game before, and I must admit, I'd be, maybe because he did that, I wasn't actually all that nervous. And yeah, we played a really good game, and yeah, it was a good introduction to to playing league football actually. So I felt that I could actually yeah belong. You know, of course, when you're watching from from the grandstand, everything looks yeah a lot more fast and clean skills and, and then when you get out there you realise that you can um, you know keep up with them which is always good for the confidence and that was at the old footy park was that right it was yeah first yep. game at the footy park yeah it was great so it was lots of space so it was good for me running around and and that that year of course I think West well, West Adelaide they went on to win the the well, not went to play in the grand final but I think um, we were the last that was one of the last teams to beat them on their run because they really got going yeah, and, that's right. and, and yeah. put together a lot of games uh, in a row. And so I think obviously they got done by North in the grand final. But the I think blood, before that, bath. we were the last team to beat them. Yeah, the bloodbath. So blood blood yep. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. <laughs> so you, 93, Pato, you, you had a really consistent year showing you making the Advertiser Team of the Year, which is always a big thing in South Australian footy to make the Advertiser Team of the Year. And, of course, the prelim final against Port Adelaide was certainly the highlight of the year. We don't really want to talk about the grand final too much. We went to the bar pretty early, I admit, in that, on that day. Oh, I think most people did, mate. Yes, yes. So, but, yeah, yeah you, but the pre, prelim final was, it was a yeah, great it was game. Brilliant. I, do, I remember that. That would be one of my favourite games for Norwood, yeah. definitely. And just all the – I think especially after the game, I remember driving – driving back to the club afterwards yep. and seeing, as we drove through the city, back to the parade, seeing everyone with their flags out, you know, going down North Terrace. And, yeah, that was, it made you feel really, yeah, really good. It made so many people happy. Yeah, grand final, but didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it didn't, no. I mean, and... Well, oh, that was just I, way I too It was early. a six-day break. I think we were the last team to play off a six-day break because yeah. after that they realised, well, you've got to at least give... Um, give the prelim finalist winner seven yeah. days off. Yeah. So we, well, I think we would, you know, we were a young side, and in hindsight, you can, you can understand a little bit because we were. I think that that's the same year that Essendon had their baby bombers, and we were quite similar. We had so many players under twenty one, and I suppose you know, the game caught up with us a little bit. I um, think training yeah. caught up with it. Craigie got carried away that week. 
that week with how many numbers were at training. And Because I, I can remember on the Thursday night, think, for goodness sake, get them off the track. And that's the only time I've oh, ever thought that, that yep. watching at training. You always wanted to watch training, but we go, get them off, get them off, he, you know. And Beefy said it didn't worry him you know, as a young guy yep. with so many of the young guys, but a couple of the older guys said, yeah, it certainly ran them, you know, heavy legs, heavy legs, which didn't help. But Woodville West Torrance played very well on grand final day. We've got to be fair. Um, what, what Wiedemann we, dominated yep. and that. So. What, what was your best memory from the prelim against Port? Well, I, yeah, I think certainly um, when we did the second quarter, the we, the, the second quarter when we bit of, did a surge and sort of put ourselves yeah. a few goals up, I could just feel like a, you could just feel the game turning. Um, and that, so that gave us a lot of confidence to go on. And then, I'm, you know, in the last quarter, if I could be a little bit selfish, I remember getting the ball in yep. the, the old scoreboard pocket. Okay. So I was pretty yep. close to the boundary and, um, you know, ran, ran on to the ball and, and then kicked a goal. And then, the yeah, the crowd went pretty pretty wild, actually. Well, the Northern supporters did anyway. So, yep. yeah, that, that was great. And then you're sort of running around on air when you do those sort of things. Yeah, I must admit, yeah, I, I, might have watched, I might have watched that once or twice, that uh, replay. <laughs> the old YouTube replay? <laughs> yes. We, we might have to put that one up yes. on our uh, Facebook yeah. page, I reckon. And so then from there, so when did Collingwood first show interest then, Pato? And were other sides interested as well? Yeah, so, I mean, so back then, so 91, 92 were the only the Crows could draft South Australians, so it was that yep. moratorium yep. in a way. And then so 93... Uh, when I played that good year, I had a, you know a few clubs interested, quite yep. a few clubs, uh, and put, but Collingwood didn't actually speak to me. Okay. Um, and and they, yeah, they drafted me, and it was it was it was interesting back then because of course there's no, uh, it wasn't live, like it didn't even have the internet um, calling out the picks, and so you didn't know what happened. So I mean that the first I knew about it was I think a journalist phoned me up to say I'd been drafted by Collingwood. And um, yeah, then Collingwood phoned up afterwards and and just said they they drafted me and they they said their modus operandi. Then they didn't talk, you know, didn't really talk to players because they didn't want to give away who they were interested in and who they weren't. They just picked players. So that and I think that was the pick before the Crows. So, but there was you know at that stage Collingwood was a massive club, so it was very yep. exciting to you know I wanted to play for a club like. Norwood, where you've got a lot of history and you know supporters were at that stage. The, the Crows were just, you know, they were, they were sort of very new into the competition. So you know that would have been great to be at Adelaide as well. But it was, yeah, it certainly wasn't. Didn't, didn't have any misgivings getting drafted to Collingwood. Well, we talked with uh, Roger James about how he found out that he was coming back to the Crows. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people forget no, that we didn't have. Uh, sorry, yeah, uh, to, yes. to Port Adelaide. Uh, no, no, uh, thought Adelaide. he was going to the Crow, uh, Port Adelaide. Port ended Adelaide. up at the Crows. Crows yeah, it's amazing that people don't understand that there wasn't a thing like internet and mobile phones around once upon a time, and you did find these no. out <laughs> through the wires, really. Well, that's yeah, yeah, on the old landline. So if you weren't at home, so I was going. I was at uni at that stage. So yeah, um, you, you had to get contacted by the landline. So of course, yeah. So I've got drafted, and then back then it was it's quite interesting. You'd think now, bit bit difficult um, looking back these. Well, you know what goes on these days. But of course, back then AFL was semi professional. Uh, the the Sandfall was obviously semi professional, but there wasn't a massive difference between the competitions. And uh, Craig, he was all he, he was obviously old school, and he'd been through probably the VFL days in the eighties where they went and they. Like I said before, they'd pick players who played state and who who were you know best and fairest at their footy clubs. And you know, Craigie was saying, "You make sure if you go over there, because I was a bit older too. I wasn't eighteen; I was twenty-two yeah. when I got drafted." He said, "When you go over there, you've got to make sure you're ready to play because they're not expecting to develop you. So you've got to you know make sure that you you play round one." And he said, "You know, you're better off you're better off staying here in in SA and making sure you're." cherry ripe when you go over so yeah like a few blokes I ended up staying a year after I got drafted and played for Nord again in 94. Yep, yep. and of course you were studying Bachelor of Science and yes physics and Bachelor of Electrical, Electrical and Electronic Engineering. Yes so lots of maths lots of physics 
um, yeah, makes your head spin trying to understand it half the time. Footy would have been a bit yeah, of a release. Yeah, so I was doing, you know, studying as well and, you know, having to think about setting up a career. And like I said, the, the football wasn't the, you know, the professional game that it is now. And, yeah, so stayed stayed for another year um, and, and then went over in 95. And go through your, so your highlights over over playing for Collingwood. Of course, you did one thing. We'll get to that a bit later. But you did one thing which I reckon every single person would like to have done in football: kick the first ever goal against Port Adelaide, Port Power. <laughs> that's a stat trivia yeah. man's oh, uh, that's gold, qu- gold class question. You can store. You can. You could use that. I reckon forever, Pato. You should be. You should virtually go around. Bugger your political crap. Go around with the badge. I kicked the first ever goal against. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. I know. Well, I mean, that's it, it is pretty serendipitous because, of course, you know, the, the Victorians probably don't get the rivalry between yes. Norwood and Port. They obviously have the, you know, and I, I don't get the rivalry as much between Collingwood Carlton and Collingwood yeah, Richmond. Exactly. That's gone on for 100, that's 100 years in the making. Obviously, I understand it, but it's over there, you know, it's live and die, and it's the same over here. Norwood plays Port. And so it was great to be able to get the opportunity to play against Port in their first game. Yeah, and actually, yeah, to kick a, I ended up kicking the first three goals too, Malcolm oh, against oh, against Port, which was great. Oh, and um, let's have that yeah. badge even better. It's going to be a bigger badge, Pat. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Who 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 did you debut against? Yeah, so I debuted against Carlton, so uh, round okay. one, and it is it's actually it's very yeah it's a massive grounds the MCG of course like it's a massive step up on Adelaide Oval. So instead of you know I played in front of. 40,000, 45,000 in the in that grand final between Norwood and the Eagles. That would yeah. be the biggest crowd I've played in beforehand. And then I've gone over to Collingwood and played round one against Carlton. Uh, and there was over, I think it was about 90,000 crowd. And the, we got, I remember there was so uh, Brett James, Scott Burns and myself, we were living together. And, um, you know, it was the first game. And Brett's played a year before, so he sort of knew about it. But we, one of the players, who one of our teammates, Brad Rowe, he was a gardener, and he said, oh, "I'll pick, I'll pick you boys up so you don't get lost on the way, and I'll, you know, get you into the grounds because it's going to be a big game." So he's he's rolled up to pick us up for our first game, and it's literally in, I don't know, it'd be like in a high ace, but there was no seats in the back because he put all these <laughs> pot plants in there. So the three of us went to our first game sitting in the back of a high ace, with no, you know, bouncing around. Um, no windows, and he's dri- driven us in to the like grand final parade. <laughs> oh no, no, there was no roof. We were like totally in the, in the, the back of a van, and it, but it was actually good because it, it relaxed us because we weren't thinking about the game. We were thinking about not getting not getting bashed around into the yeah. walls as we drove along, joking around. So got to the game okay. I can't actually remember the. In, in the change rooms beforehand, but remember the, when we ran out into the ground, we used to come out uh, the Southern Stand, so the Great Southern Stand, which is now the Shane Warne Stand. The the um, you know the, the players' race used to be that side, and I remember just running out onto the ground. Of course, they play the the Collingwood theme song and the banners up there, and their banners, of course, Collingwood are bigger than any other banner, and just the crowd was all roaring, and all the sound was going into the middle of the ground where we were running onto. And because it's a circle. Yeah, it's a like coliseum. The, 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 yep. It's like a coliseum. And just the, the, the sound is, is um, yeah, it's massive, really deafening, really. And just running out there and just, it's actually a little bit, you know, you don't feel like you're, it's an out-of-body experience, to be honest, running out there like that. And, yeah, I remember doing the warm-up and you, you can't hear your teammates. That's, you know, we're playing in the sand for we're used to being able to hear all your teammates, whereas there you're basically about 20 metres away and you can't hear each other. So go through some more highlights there, Pato. So you, you kicked 25 goals in 96. You also got three Brownlow votes uh, against North Melbourne in uh, in 87, and you're probably a little bit unlucky in the following year. I don't reckon they had the um, Anzac Day medal at that stage because you, you, you got voted best on ground in that. And... Your '98 season—it's huge to finish third in the in a Copeland. It's at a Collingwood, yeah, yeah at a Collingwood Copeland. So it's yeah, some some big achievements there, mate. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, '98 was a um, yeah, it was a good year for for um, you know in terms of my playing. Uh, what what we did though, I was playing mainly as a forward in the first 
first few years and then in 98 played in the midfield, yeah. but more, you know, playing on players as opposed to being attacking midfielder, playing more of a defensive role. Yep. And so it was great because I got to play on, you know, the best player, best midfielder, certainly in, in each of the teams. So, you know, playing on Shane Crawford, um, uh, Matthew Knights, uh, players like that. And, um, the back then, of course, we, we they hadn't worked out that you could do interchange and have players go on off the field. Yep. So I remember, you know, you'd line up next to Shane Crawford um, before the first bounce of the game and you knew that you had to basically run, you know, run for 120 minutes uh, and keep up. Yeah. You know, and he's one of, he was one of the fittest ones. So, yeah, it was a different, different style of game back then. So, yeah, you used to really run yourself into the ground uh, in, in most games. You used to be exhausted by the end of the game. So you talked about obviously playing at the MCG. Uh, you would have played a few games at Victoria Park. Yeah, yeah, we did. So we didn't play lots. We usually we played more the interstate teams. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I remember. Um, yeah, my, one of my first games at Vic Park was against the Fremantle Dockers because in '95 that was the their first year they came into the comp. Yep. yep. Um, so I remember playing the Dockers there, and so that's that's that match. I got my first goal um, in the AFL, so that was great. Um, yeah, doing it in front of Vic Park, in front of the crowd, and they would have a, loved it. It's about a, oh, they did, and it's about a twenty thousand um, stadium capacity, so a bit bigger than the Sample game, Sample grounds, but sort of on on that sort of level. Uh, but of course, everyone's packed in. It's a lot of standing room only, and um, yeah, really really interesting interesting ground. Of course, everyone complains of going to Vic Park. They used to go, oh, we always go there, and there's cold showers and all that. <laughs> And I used to say, well, we used to have cold showers too because <laughs> the hot water didn't work. And we had um, David Munkhurst. He, of course, was our ruckman, but he was also a plumber. So he used to be, you know, he used to try to get the hot water going in the, in the club and didn't really have much luck, actually. And so your time at Collingwood, unfortunately, there's no, certainly no finals. And how hard was that sort of thing that, you know, not a huge amount of wins at a big club, um, you know, obviously pressure and that side of things. And it goes through the trials and tribulations there, Peter. Yeah, well, I suppose, yeah, we didn't play finals when I was there, which is, that's a major disappointment because basically at Norwood, you're so used to playing finals and Collingwood's the same. And it's just, I suppose, the way, uh, the, 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 way the club sort of, during the late 90s, of course, they had their premiership uh, side from the 90s and, like, like with list management these days, you sort of have your ebbs and flows. And so, you know, those premiership players from 1990, they were coming to their end of the careers, um, a number of them, you know, or had finished by 95. And then, of course, the sort of the young guys in the, the premiership team were sort of the more established ones. And so, again, because the draft was so new, you know, maybe some clubs worked out how to, you know, how to do the draft better than others. I mean, you wouldn't say... We went through a period where we drafted lots of 18-year-olds at that stage. And so, yeah, there was a bit – it took us – you know, we were in that bad position where you're finishing between ninth and 12th yeah, sort of. Yeah. And so you're not getting good, the yeah. great draft picks, but then you're just missing out. And so, you know, that was sort of where we found ourselves, which was – you know, it's obviously disappointing. That would have been, um, you know, obviously much you know, a much better sort of way to play if you played in finals course. So um, arriving and, at you – know, Arriving at Collingwood, mm. you know, the same time with Burnsy, as you said, living with Beefy. So it was a bit of a Nord. It was a great – and James Wosley, uh, trying to think who else. So it was certainly a, a, like uh, Bart. Bart was there for a year. So it was a real Nord link. And so the Nord, and those oh. Nord friendships sort of stayed on forever in your Nord Collingwood yes. side of thing. Yeah, and we also had Tony Francis and Craig yeah. Kelly yep. who were over there. They were obviously premiership players and – you know, they were a bit older than me, so I didn't I hadn't played with them at Norwood. Yeah. But, yeah, so like I said, I lived with Burnsy and, and Brett, and, you know, it was great. It was a good way to, you know, find your way around a new city, make good friendships, yeah, still, and still catch up with them, definitely. So you've got to give us some dirt on the boys that you were living with. Um, who was the best cook? <laughs> Not me. Actually, <laughs> I've got a tip for but if you don't want to ever do cooking. I think they got me to cook one time. I think it was just it was pretty basic dinner. And um, I made a mess of it, actually, and it was such a mess that I think um, 
Brett phoned up his mum to see, are you, can you actually, is that actually a way to cook things? And I think she said, no, you're not meant to cook things like that. <laughs> so anyway, I was never allowed to cook I can imagine that phone call to Beefy's mum too, actually. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I was never allowed to cook, so it's a good way if you want to get out of the cooking. Yeah, good if, idea. If you make a real meal of the first one, then they don't let you cook ever again. So, But, I mean, they were obviously country boys, and so we, we used to live off either, you know, into, you know, every set, you know, Big steak one day, past the next, steak faster. So <laughs> yep. just intermittent. But it was great. So I actually put on a fair bit of weight living with those boys. So, yeah, should have lived with them earlier. Who, who was the tidiest? Who was the messiest? Oh, I would have probably been the messiest. They would say I was the messiest. But I think we're all – we weren't too bad, really, for considering, yeah, we, we had the house to ourselves. I th- I'd say we were, I'll give us a gold star – so your first year in ninety five you played under you played under the great man Lee Matthews in ninety five and then Tony Shaw and yeah, only the one game under Grumpy Mick in his first year in two thousand uh Pat Overs. Yeah, it was yeah. interesting, of course. So yeah, we had um Lee Matthews and he coached I think it was the tenth year he'd been coached yeah. uh, at Collingwood. So he was just I suppose you know, unfortunately, he's coming to his end. But when you look back at that year, like we lost uh, quite a few games uh, early, and the, we should have played finals in the end. We only had to win one of our last two games, and yeah, he really sort of kept us in the finals. So, like in terms of coaching, he obviously was a very good coach, um, and he was just trying to trying to work his way through. I mean, at that stage, he hadn't done media, and I think. He, he did a stint of media after being at Collingwood and then went off and coached Brisbane, yeah. and that probably helped his um, interpersonal skills yep. a, a lot, which is what the modern-day players love because he yeah. was – when he was at um, Collingwood, he was yeah, really, really harsh, um, you know, the old the old style coach, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and I remember, <laughs> I remember him really having, you know, having a crack at training one time for – I made a mistake, and um, Shane Kerrison came over and he goes, oh, don't actually worry about it. I mean, it's, at least he's yelling at you. He's not yelling at me anymore because I'm he, I'm past it. So, <laughs> fair way of looking. Know, at yeah, it. that is a good way of looking at it. So, yeah. so he, he was an excellent coach, and then we had Tony Shaw, who yeah. was he was um, he went straight from basically playing, yeah. did a year as reserves coach, and then um, yeah, straight into league, and he was probably um, a little bit ahead of his time in terms of um, he had lots of set plays and tried to bring professionalism into it. And, in fact, we were, as I said, when I first went over there, it was semi-professional. And then um, about halfway through in 98, um, he basically it became, it was able to become professional because the, um, you know, the AFL got a TV rights deal. Yeah. And that's yeah. when um, Andrew Demetrio was was the CEO, and he, he basically said, okay, because we've got that money coming from the TV rights, we can start playing the players properly. And and really what made it professional is when he said, well, we'll play the reserves players who might never play a game. We'll still pay them, you know, effectively the average wage at the time so that then, you know, once they did that, the coaches started saying, well, now, you know, you're getting paid the average wage here, so you don't need to work anymore. So all of a sudden we started training during the daytime as yep. opposed to, you know, four o'clock at night. And, you know, the one thing I noticed going to Victoria compared to SA, definitely training at winter in Victoria is a lot colder at night time yeah. than it is over here in SA, um, you know, and you get all tighter and things like that. You know, your training's not as good because your your body's not as, as loose. So being able to move into the daytime was a big thing. I, mean, I think we even had the TV cameras roll up because it was such a new thing. They wanted yeah. to see what's going on. What, is, <laughs> what does it look like, this professional football? And, of course, at that stage, they were just trying to work out what it was. So it was really just doing weights and having a bit of a run and then doing a training session, whereas now there's so much more to it. Of course, you played with a couple of the greats, Collingwood greats and great players in general in, in, uh, in Gavin Brown and Nathan Buckley too, mate. Well, I did, yeah. They were excellent players. So... Um, you know, I was number six, Buck was number five. So Bucks was basically next door. He was my locker buddy. And um, the first year, uh, Dermot Burden played as well for a year, which was great. Yeah. He was number three. So, I mean, I had I had these legends of the yeah, game. I had um, Dermot Burden, Gary Pert, Buckley um, next to myself. So that was great. Um, great way to sort of get introduced to the game. Um, yeah, but Bucks was a... An excellent player. I think Mick McGuan also was he. He um he was very injured, unfortunately, 
Yeah. But whenever he played, he was a really good team player. And I think our team was a lot better whenever Mick McGowan played. But unfortunately, he yeah, just had a lot of groin issues and hammy issues and so didn't get on the park very much. Was Bucks as professional as he uh, as he looks uh, each and every game and even on the TV at the moment? He looks like he's well and truly prepared. Oh, yeah. No, he was very – yeah, he was – I mean, he was great fun, but yeah, he was definitely very professional. Uh, he really tried to get the best out of himself. You know, he trained hard. Um, yeah, so he, yeah, very professional. Um, and always, yeah, trying to, at trainings and that, getting ready for games. And even if he was injured, he'd really push it to get back in, you know, recover as well. Like with his recovery, he's really good like that. Did you guys come across each other in the SNFL? Yeah, yeah. Well, we played, um, like I played against him. I didn't know at the time, but when I was playing under-19s, I think, you know, we worked out we would have played against each other when he, he was at Port. And then in 92, when he had his um, outstanding year yeah. for the Magpies, um, yeah, I, would have, I played against him there. Yeah, he dominated 92. Did he ever? So, um, so obviously with Sav Rocker as well. Um, so. Oh, yes. I mean, Sav was great because, I mean, he was the full forward. This is back when used to actually be running down the wing and, you know, have a few bounces and be able to kick 50 metres forward and hit a target as opposed to running down the wing these days and having to kick it backwards because your full forwards run down to full back to defend. So he was just a massive unit. Yeah. And, you know, it was, you could put it anywhere near him and he'd, he'd win more one-on-one contests than he'd lose. I mean, I remember playing Essendon a number of times and, he you know, had some great Anzac Day games where he just dominated the game and could kick an absolute mile as well. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. He was, he was actually better. It was better him having a kick for goal from 55 metres than from 15. Like he would, yeah, he just kicked so right. true yep. from, from 55. They would just go very straight. But, yeah, he'd get close to goals and he'd just sort of like stab at it and, yep. and miss him, unfortunately. Reminds me Not of a, all the time. reminds me of a current Adelaide player playing his two fiftieth this weekend. Yeah, is a very much like times. that as well. He can do that at times, Tex. Yep. Um, oh, that's a bit harsh. I, I, Tex is a magnificent kick. Yeah, no, I, I agree, but there is that thirty meters out. Sometimes you worry, but yeah. then it's fifty out. You almost he, back him every time. Yeah, he does kick through. Yes. Yeah. he always has. Um, bit of bit of frustration not playing a hundred games for the Pies, Pedro. Oh yeah, of course. So I mean. But, of course, um, what my frustration is they never counted the Anset Cup games. Whereas in the Sandville, they counted yes, the Escort Cup Yes, that's true. They did too. My, yeah. my, my SA games has probably boosted a little bit because of the pre-season games. Yeah. Um, but, unfortunately, yeah, they, they, they don't count those games. So, if, if they did, I would have clocked over the 100. Um, but, yeah, that's um, that would be great to tick off. But, I mean, that's it, it didn't happen, as you said, like played – Played one game in my last season um, when Mick Moldhouse was a coach, and you know that's the, the you know the disappointing thing there is that just um, it wasn't because of injury. It's just just you know getting on a little bit would have been good to be you know a young player coming with a new coach. He was he you know came in to coach, and we we're towards the bottom of the ladder. And you know his job was to try to play young players to give them games and yeah make, you know get the team to improve. And so. Yeah, he, he you could really tell he was he, he had a really you know for the a good game style and understood understood the um you know what was required from a coach who came from West Coast of course which were at that in the 90s were an excellent team and yeah he was really you know he'd brought something different yeah lots of physicality as well of course now you mentioned uh, a little bit earlier on obviously playing in the Anzac Day clashes uh... You, you mentioned that go, walk, well, running out for a normal game, the crowd sort of blew you off your feet. But the Anzac Day, uh, that's on everyone's bucket list to do. I'm assuming uh, it's one thing that you're privileged to be a part of. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And I mean, these days uh, the pre-game ceremony is, yeah, it's a work of art, really. How they do it, they've got yeah. a catapult party and things like that. We didn't have that extreme because they were just working their way through it. But I remember because it was so, you know, these were the first Anzac Day games. So usually you'd get the diggers that had been, they'd gone off to the to the Anzac Day, you know, the dawn service, and then they'd go for the march in the city. Um, they probably stopped at the RSL to have a few rums um, while while they waited for the footy. And then they'd get the, some of the veterans would come out onto the ground and we'd be lined up waiting for them. And, um, you know, the veterans would probably head. <laughs> 
one or two. And a couple, yes. One or two many runs. So they were, like, it was meant to be a minute of silence, and they were off, like, getting all excited, you know, going, come on, Collingwood, you know, barracking <laughs> like that. And, and the other thing, of course, is, you know, you've got the minute silence now, and, and then they have the, the bugler comes on. And, of course, everyone's seen on TV so much or, or gone to the game. They know, you know, to be silent the whole time. But back then, of course, no one knew. So you'd always get someone, they'd go yeah, a bit early before idiot. the luck, yep. They'd, yep. and they'd cheer out, then they had to be quiet. But th- So there's that real buzz before the game, and then you'd feel bulletproof, you know, but when the first bounce comes on, um, yeah, they were really intense games the first quarter, absolutely. And then you finished up, you did, did ended up coming back to Norwood for one last year, 2002. Yes, yeah, so that's um, Macca's, Macca was the coach. That was yep. his first year of coaching. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I, I wanted to stay over in Melbourne um, for a bit uh, just because I, um, yeah, wanted to, you know, not rush back to Adelaide uh, when I finished in the AFL because I'd seen quite a few quite a few of the teammates over there. They got homesick the whole time and then at the end, once they retired, they'd go back interstate and then they'd find that everyone else had moved on and they ended up coming back. So, I spent a year over in Melbourne after I finished the AFL um, and, and just worked there, worked at Champion Data, actually. Okay. And and then just got itchy feet, really, and thought, no, nah, I wouldn't mind playing again. And, yeah, Macca was the coach, so, yeah, came back over and played at Norwood. Yeah, had high hopes of, um, yeah, at least playing 100 games at Norwood. Um, but, yeah, the body, it's funny having having a year off, um, it didn't really fit, um, affect my fitness, but it just your, your body um, isn't used to the, I suppose yeah, the, the the knocks, the, the knocks and that. And so I did look really little niggly injuries, but you know, little hamstrings and things like that, not badly, but enough to always, yeah, make you miss a week or two and not be able to train properly. So yeah, that was it was probably yeah my most frustrating year to be honest. And then after footy work wise, you. When did you go into part? So you work with our previous guest on a, on our yep, show Bart. and with uh, the great man with Justin Bart Storitsky. You two went into um, business together for for a fair while. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And and also uh, Anthony Harvey as well. Uh, Sir Anthony. So, yes. Uh, um, yes, <laughs> Sir Anthony. Yeah, and yeah, like I said, I'd worked at Champion Data, so I was sort of I was you know and being an electrical engineer and done some yep. work with computers and and the internet was really keen on, um, you know, setting up a business. Like the, when you're playing AFL, you know, you fly into state and you see all these uh, business people having the Friday off and flying over with you and, you know, playing golf and that. And so I thought, oh, well, that's the life. I you know, wouldn't mind <laughs> running a business and be able to have Fridays off. And Absolutely. little did I know, of course, when you run a business, you actually work doubly hard. So that never eventuated. But, yeah, I loved it. Yeah, it's a great, great um, thing running your own business, it's certainly, um, you know, you really get to be hands-on um, and, and, yeah, can set your own path. And then, Pato, fascinatingly, what made you originally run for local council? It's a, it's a very – it's an interesting uh, part of your life here. Yeah. Well, you know, I was trying to, of course, you know, I'd finished playing football but wanted to uh, keep fit – and, you know, we had, you know, had young family at that stage. We just yep. moved down to Glenelg. So, you know, came back to Adelaide, uh, ended up buying a house down in Glenelg South. And being near the beach, never lived near the beach before, um, but wanted to get the kids to be, you know, surf smart. So we joined up with the Glenelg yep. Surf Lifesaving Club. They did the nippers, went out to that. And then out of that, of course, you had, you know, we thought, well, why don't we do the bronze medallions? Because then we can volunteer and, and do volunteer life-saving patrols on the beach as well. Yep. So really sort of got into that, and that's it's excellent. Um, you know, life-saving is a great sport to do because you've got males and females and all ages as well. So you've got, you know, from juniors through to adults through to, you know, people that are what they call masters now, so a bit older. But, you know, there's lots of interaction and there's so lots of mentors and, and, and you know, people looking out for each other. So I really got involved from a community point of view um, with community sport and yep. same with football. And, you know, with the local council, um, you know, really saw an opportunity there, where, you know, at a community level. I was really interested in, I suppose, yeah, what because what, councils really work quite closely with their local community club. Yep. So just thought, well, I'll give it a go. And, of course, you ended up then 
sitting uh, running against um, Ken Rowland and becoming the mayor of the city of Holdfast Bay in 2014. Yeah. Well, I've... You know, obviously, running your own business and um, set, you know having that, having I suppose you know that background. Um, you know, I sort of got like oh, it's getting frustrated, I suppose, with what was going on with the yep. council, and yep. thought, well, um, rather than just sit there and say nothing, I'll put myself out there and yeah, ran for mayor, and you know that was probably a bit of timing as well. Ken had been the mayor for yep. many years, and yep. so yeah, it was actually probably a bit of timing, uh, and also bring also maybe a different a different perspective as well which people um you know supported which was good i mean it was hard of course because ken had delivered every second person in glenelg and and the whole area so yes. you know everyone i talked to they go oh well ken delivered my children or yeah. they delivered me so yeah. yeah i didn't really have that up my sleeve so yeah <laughs> you, you should have lifted ki- your game Pat. you need on. to kiss a lot of babies yeah. now mate yeah. <laughs> and then so yeah, but that was great what got you then deciding to go to the next the next level? What, uh... Yeah, well, I suppose, like I said, I was really interested in trying to, uh, I suppose, you know, look at growing the economy down in the in the um, Holdfast Bay area, which is the council I was mayor of down at Glenelg and Brighton. Uh, that was one of the focus. And, you know, there's a big tourism, I suppose, bit of a tourism element there, but there's also other elements. And I, what I quickly realised is, of course, you can, you know, with a council, your boundaries are quite small and, you know, you're probably, yep. if, you, if you're if you going to be true to community, you really should be focused on your, um, you know, on just, you know, trying to do things specifically for your council. I just found myself looking at, you know, what was what yeah, was required and thinking, yep. well, really, that's that's not a council issue. That's actually more of a state government, government yep. issue and, and things there because that affects the whole state and, you know, rather than just trying to think, well, this, there's this little island um, called Hold Fast Bay that's independent of everyone else. And, yeah, I, you know, I've always, um, you know, always been liberal and thought, well, why not Why not put myself forward, yep. um, you know, to represent the Liberal Party in that area, which is, is what happened. You've certainly run in a few different portfolios and that over over the time, Pato. Go through sort of like quickly the some of the best bits and the trials and successes in that regard. Yeah, so I was elected in 2018, so yep. I've been now in state parliament for five years. And so you started off um, as a backbencher, so the 2018 election, the uh, Liberal government um, was elected. Uh, and because of my background, though, having a small business but running, you know, I've got experience, I suppose, in a number of fields such as space, defence, uh, and also, you know, high tech. So to start off with, um, you know, Premier Marshall, he is a good friend of Norwood Footy Club, he, he got me involved in sort of learning the ropes um, from him. He was the Minister for Space and Defence Industry. So quite often he'd get me to come along to, to meetings, come along to, um, I suppose, events as well, just to, to learn the ropes and to meet people and get, get involved. Uh, and then in 2020, uh, COVID had just started, but um, I was lucky to be made Minister for Trade Investment yep. uh, back in July 2020. And... You know, if you look at some of the areas where the, the state's trying to focus on, uh, it was trying yeah. to grow the economy and grow investment in areas such as space, defence, uh, but also um, in renewable energy as well, um, which had a bit of a background and knowledge of from my electrical engineering um, studies. So that that was really interesting. What was challenging, though, is within two weeks of being um, becoming Minister for Trade Investment, uh, China went and um, put a tariff Massive yeah. tariff um, uh, ban, well, not a ban, but just a massive yeah. tariff Charge. hike onto yep. wine, which effectively closed the market off um, for China uh, for our wine producers here in SA. So that was just a massive, a massive issue. And of course, at the same time, there's COVID going on, so there's no international travel, uh, which makes it really hard for you know to strike up new, you know, new trade. Um, yeah, new trade countries for, for the wine. So really it was looking, okay, relying on established relationships uh, in other countries and then dr- gradually trying to move into to new markets as well. And so, yeah, that was a lot of hard yards for the whole, you know, the whole time I was Minister for Trade Investment because those tariffs, um, I mean, they're still, they're still there, unfortunately. I mean, there's movement maybe at the station now, but um, yeah. certainly at the time the market, it's effectively, was effectively closed um, to to Australian wine. 
So that, 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 that'd be the tribulations, but certainly there was some, you know, great, you know, great um, times as well. So the, I think one of the, the highlights was when the, the Australian Space Agency uh, was announced that it was going to be in Adelaide. Uh, that's, that, you know, that's great for the state in terms of being able to set up uh, a space industry here in, in SA and people go, oh, that's space, that's for um, people that, you know, nerds that are off do, doing, you know, lots of university. But the thing, what it does is it brings all these, I suppose, problem solvers because to go up into space is solving lots of problem solvers and entrepreneurial people and, you know, they'll find solutions to other problems as well. So it's about trying to really, you know, grow grow people and, and give people a reason to live here in South Australia rather than what was happening a lot of the time was people were leaving and going either yeah. interstate or overseas. Did you find that your uh, time in football certainly helped with your, not not personally as far as um, um, uh, popularity goes, but some of the, uh, you know, moving interstate and playing interstate and, and learning new, new things over in Melbourne and then coming back to Adelaide, do you think that helped a little bit with your political stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Because it just gives you obviously another, an, another see how other people live. I think it's really important to do that actually, rather mm-hmm. than just thinking everyone you know in Australia, let alone the world, thinks the same as South Australians. Yeah. But I mean, the other great thing about football, it obviously teaches you teamwork, um, and it teaches you to um, be able to understand people from all walks of life. Because I mean, a football team is made up from all walks of life. I remember. You know, we'd have doctors playing. We'd have, you know, Macca was, he was pretty hands-on. He was a bricklayer. You'd have plumbers. And, yeah. you know, you, you get to know all sorts of people when you, you know, quite often you, <laughs> I found myself, yeah, able to, you know, form great friendships with, with knockabout blokes, really. Yeah. Uh, and, and just sort of, you know, really get to understand people. How so about- I think that really helps as well. I can talk to talk to most people, um, at, you know, whether they're, the rich and famous and the high, you know, Neil Craig used to call them Kenny Cash flow. So they're yes, the big, yes. the big sponsors and, yeah. the, and the yep. people with all the, you know, at the top end of, of society down, right down to the, you know, with, with all 40 clubs, they've got, you know, supporters who basically they spend every dollar at the club, so to speak, you know, they're not, it's not like they're, they're rolling in money, but they just love the club so much. And, you know, they're, they're around there too. So you get, as I said, speak to all walks of life. On the political side of things, Pat, the difference between being a sitting member and and in opposition. How, how does that, you know, how does that work, uh, and and change your job up, etc. Yeah, well, I, I, people, you know, now now you know in opposition, people say, oh, you must have lots of time on your hands, so you've got no no extra time, probably less time. It's just that you you allocate your time differently. So when obviously in government, you've got the whole public service, not not behind you know, each politician directly, but, you know, yep. you've got that support there. Um, when, when you're in opposition, you really have, you, you run on the, the, what is it, the the smell of an oily rag, basically. So there's a lot more, you know, a lot more hands-on. Um, you know, you're not, you're, you're, when you're in government, you're, you're controlling the levers of, of power. So, you know, you've got to, you know, you're, you're steering the ship, which is, you know, I mean, I think all people, certainly the whole point of getting into, into politics is to make a difference to the people's in your community's life, but also to the state. So, you know, that's when you're running it, there's a great responsibility, but it also gives you a bit more control. Do the parties work together enough? Is there enough common sense in that regard? And, and has it improved? Especially from a pointing, sporting point of view? Well, yeah, yeah I mean, overall. that's... Yeah. I, yeah, I, I mean, if you look at sport, it's the same thing. When you're on the field... It's um you know you cross the white line and it's very competitive and then off the field um you know people can you can have relationships it's a bit like that yep. you'd say in 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 politics as well I mean you, people always say like when you see um the committees running so these are the the institutions not not sitting in parliament um the in the actual the House of Assembly but you know having these committees that feed into decision making they they're a bit more collaborative definitely. Um, you know, but there's always room for improvement, sure. Yeah. And of course, you've got a daughter now playing at Glenelg, and I may have commentated a game and watched Violet <laughs> have played in a few weeks ago, and Violet had played yes. pretty well, and I thought, I reckon, she's, I reckon she'll get a, a club award. And, and we commentate right next to the coaching box, so I was pretty confident that yep. Violet was. So three I wandered, votes, three I, votes. Wandered, I wandered down downstairs, and uh, I've walk, walked up to her and gone, 
Well done, Violet. And, uh, you've had more tackles today than the old man did in his entire career. And she, I reckon she's thinking, I'm not really sure how to take this guy. <laughs> no, she, yeah, she, she probably did that. She's a stranger danger. But she, she certainly she, – she loved the quote she told me afterwards. She thought that was hilarious. And it's probably true, to be honest. Certainly <laughs> at Norwood, we were quite a tacky team. We did not, not so much tackles there. But, yeah, she loves it. I mean, she's oh, got she has brothers. a crack. She does. She's got big brothers, so she's used to getting, um, you know, roughed up a little bit. So she actually enjoys that. And she's all very self-driven too. People think, oh, well, did you sort of get her into it? But she, her school, uh, they had um, Daniel Kerr who yep. uh, played at Westies. He was he was one of the teachers at school. And he basically grabbed the girls and they did um, training sessions at school. And they were, uh, you know, really, um, you know, taught them the basic skills. And Violet loved it. So she went out, played at Plimpton Bulldogs, and it's it's really interesting. Like, the girls' sport's got a – it's come from a long way. It's got a long way to go. But she she was training just the local Plimpton Bulldogs, and there's five girls' teams training, you know, for an hour a night, yeah. and they play on the weekend. So they're not, not doing much training, and, and you know, they're, they're starting it as under-12s, not as, as under eight. So, yeah. you know, they haven't had as, as many skill development sessions, and, you know, they never got to do full ground drills and learn – learn how to kick and so she's played at Plimpton and then just went out to the Glenelg under 16s and, and did really well sort of in some in I suppose just in a term three holidays and then got invited out to to the um, train with the seniors because the the Sandful W expanded to have like effectively their development league so yep. that you yeah, got the seniors girls teams and effectively the development reserves, team yeah. sits underneath yep. it yep. reserves so she got invited out of that, and just in in preseason, ended up ended up playing seniors all, all year. That was that was last season. And it was great, and just because she was able to develop her skills so quickly, and that's what's so good for the girls. They, you know, once they get into these, you know, the, I suppose environments where they get, get to learn the skills, they really can come on in leaps and bounds. And you know, girls, they, people keep saying, you know, they I've talked to the coaches, and they say they're just different to boys how they. Um, how they, you know, how they train because they, you know, they want to lap up everything and learn everything and probably like in school, the girls probably listen a little bit more yep. and, and not, not distracted as, as much as the boys. So mm-hmm. they, you know, they really, they're like sponges and they, they suck up all, all the different skill training drills and, and come along in leaps and bounds. Did, did you ever think that we would see that the women's game has taken off the way it has? No, it's been it's been really good. I think the best thing the AFL did probably was to align each of the um, the girls teams with with the basically with the clubs as opposed to having a girls competition. But it was you know with teams that weren't aligned with AFL clubs yep. because instantly you got like a a ready made supporter base, yep. and, and you've got the the club infrastructure there. And I think that's been great. And then that's filtered down getting it on TV and and and, and then the girls you know, watching it and, and want to replicate it. And, you know, in the Sanford W, I think the great thing at Glenelg is I remember back uh, when, I, when I was mayor and Glen Elliott was the CEO of Glenelg, you know, the, the footy club was financially in a bit of trouble. They yep. had to do, you know, they had to basically run run a, um, I can't remember, the, I think Save the Tigers. Yeah. Um, trying to get that going. Had You know, greats like Nick Chigwin was the president and Peter Carey, you know, they were, they were, they were having to really fight for their survival um, just to be able to reach their centenary year. But um, Glenn Elliott said, well, the Sandville's putting in a women's competition and we're going to be one of the clubs that, that puts in a team. So that was great. So Glenelg's, you know, really supported the girls' program a lot. And, you know, they train with, you know, they've got a good, but a good, um, I suppose they work, you know, train together with the, with the boys in terms of what like, they, you know, value them equally. They'll, you know, I think they have leadership um, courses that both the men and women's teams go to. So there's, yeah, it's not like they're two separate teams within a club. Oh, and Violet's really, now got really a path. She's yep. got a pathway, She's, you're right. Violet's got a pathway to aim for, and she is focused. You, know, you can see that from just chatting to her for a little a little bit. And Yeah, so you know, good luck, good <laughs> luck, well if, and truly. If she gets drafted, has she sort of hinted where she might want to play? Not really. Like I think the, the interesting thing is, like with um, with father son, when I retired, when father son, it was fifty games, and then they changed it to a hundred games. Yeah. So you know. Yeah, but no, daughter wise, um, I think it's daughter wise. I think it's, I think it's just straight one game. I, so I would say that 
Violet would qualify for Collingwood, I would yeah, think. Yeah, so there you yeah. go. Yeah. Um, but would she qualify for the Crows being under the SNFL no, div- I think division? No, I think it would be Collingwood, okay. I would Yeah, think. I would have thought yeah. Collingwood as well. And, Steve, and you know, considering they're coached too by Steve Simons, yeah. good Nord man, so never know there on that one, Pato. <laughs> yes. No, nah, well... I'll just I'll leave that with her. Like I said, yep. she's driven yep. that herself. Yeah. She's she's pretty yeah, like you said, pretty determined. Yeah, yeah, but she loves it, and you know it's great actually. Like you, it's I remember you know when when you play juniors, some of the the best footy you you play with because you're sort of you're you're all sort of working towards the one goal and you know team success and and you know you're enjoying mucking around with each other. So yeah, there's a good group of juniors there at at Glenelg, certainly probably in all the clubs. But yeah, she's loving so, it. Earlier this year. So Violet's playing, and I was sitting with Pato and at a game, and Violet may have not may have stuffed up a kick a little bit, and uh, it I've happens. Just, and I've gone, well, hopefully the mum's a good kick, so because we, we're not going to get that from the old man. And yeah, so <laughs> your your uh, your wife pissed herself laughing on that one. She quite enjoyed that line. So yes, there's always banter. Don't yes. worry about that. Yeah, got to got to yes. got to have some fun in fun in sport and in life. Hey, Pato, greatly appreciated, mate. Um, I'm sure that yeah. we'll catch up in, over the next uh, you know, time and all that. And, yeah, obviously following your career in politics and, uh, yeah, certainly follow Violet along and all the best. Greatly appreciate it, Pato. Thanks, Peter. Thanks, Malcolm. Thank you, mate. Yeah. I know your time's limited and uh, thank you for giving it to us tonight and uh, thoroughly enjoyed watching your career and obviously now, obviously in politics, uh, wishing you the best of luck. No, thanks so much. Thanks, mate. Good stuff. See you. Bye-bye. Thanks, Pato. Thanks, mate.